The Pug and Cobb Boxing Show is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts or fight. And because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. We have some big fights coming up in the world of boxing. Of course, beginning with Deontay Wilder against Luis Ortiz at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas on Saturday. And then we have December 14th at New York's Madison Square Garden, Terrence Crawford against Mean Machine, along with Teofimo Lopez against Richard Comey. So if you want to grab tickets to any of those fights, please check out the Game Time app for all the best deals on tickets. Hello, everyone. This is Lance Pugmire. We're here at the uh, Pug and Cop Boxing Show in the uh, MGM Grand Media Center here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Looking forward to Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz 2, the rematch Saturday night. Mike, we're going to uh, talk, we're going to have an interview with Deontay Wilder on the show, Mike. We're going to have uh, talk about the card, and we're going to get some news that uh, both of us have attended to. I wanted to get your thoughts immediately, Mike. I mean, in my opinion, this is a, the dangerous spot for Deontay Wilder. There's so much at stake given the uh, Tyson Fury uh, rematch that's already signed uh, in February. Luis Ortiz is a live dog here. He's definitely trained his ass off. He's ready to go for this fight. What's your immediate thoughts on this bout? There's always concern when it comes to the heavyweights. Look no further than Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz. None of us were picking Ruiz. And I spoke to Bob Barron the other day, and he said, quote, it's a joke. No one was, you know, like saying that no one could see that coming but he said he's really worried about this because this is heavyweight boxing and also take a look at Tyson Fury versus Otto Wallin in September Fury is rocked in round 12 he has a horrible cut over his right eye so this is a little unsettling and I know one thing Bob Arum did not want this fight to happen he wanted to go straight into Wilder Fury 2 in the fall Heyman had already promised Ortiz the rematch with Wilder and that was to get out of that Ortiz was offered the Anthony Joshua fight in June the reason that I'm getting, and he had to placate him. So here we are now. Personally, I think Wilder's going to blast Ortiz out. Do you? I think it's the over/under here in Vegas is six and a half. I'm going under. Are you? Oh wow! That's it's a little amazing. betting tip for you listeners. Now, uh, now, why do you say that? I just think Deontay Wilder is so much better than people give him credit for. I'm with you on that and that boat. And we saw Wilder. You've had a hard fall win over Bermain Stavern in January 2015. So win the title in the rematch. He knocks him out in one round. We saw Wilder knock out Dominic Brazil in one round in May. And I just don't think Ortiz is on Wilder's level when it's all said and done. He already knocked Ortiz out once. I think Wilder's going to be a little smarter this time. He's not going to get caught by Ortiz. And he's going to have more confidence in that right hand. Very interesting points, Mike. And, um, you know, we have some, we had a, uh, there was an interesting conversation that I was able to listen in on earlier today where Deontay Wilder discussed the rematch. He discussed his thoughts on uh, this uh, Luis Ortiz and his preparation for this fight. And then he also uh, talked about where his legacy stands at this point. I know that I've seen a lot of comments criticizing Deontay that he hasn't fought anyone. He talks about that and more in this uh, talk that we're about to hear right now. Let's go to that interview and then we'll resume a discussion of the uh, fight after that. No, not with me. I think um it comes with experience, you know. Um, I have a lot of experience doing it. I mean, I've been doing interviews and stuff like this since 2007. You know, um, it can be a hindrance on a person if they can't deal with it. But with me, 
I can separate the two. You know, although I'm doing these interviews, I'm still talking about my opponent. So as me talking about him, I'm thinking about him. I, you know what I'm saying? I see the billboards. So it's like if I wasn't talking about him and I didn't see him or whatever and everything was on something else, then it may be different. But, you know, by me being able to talk about it and see him, it allows me to have a reminder. You know what I'm saying? Saturday night, you got to accomplish, you know, a task, complete the mission to get the job done. So and that goes in the line of I never look past a fighter either. I'm not looking past him. You, with Ortiz, you cannot look past a fighter like him. You know what I mean? You got to make sure you're ready you know, to go because, uh, you know, he's a dangerous fighter. I've witnessed that. I've experienced that the first time in the ring. And um, i never forget the experience. I really had to move. You know, although I was sick, that played a big part in it. But, um, you know, even if I was healthy, you know, he's a dangerous fighter. You know, so uh, so I, I'm definitely, I'm focused, although I'm doing all these things. And it's for the promotion and stuff, you know. I mean, I love it, man. You know what I'm we saying? I love tell. it. I'm right there with you. I'm like, what got you here thus far, you know, you used to stay with it. Because, you know, although it looks good, you know what I mean? Um, but theoretically, you know, it's like, is it really good for you? at this point in time, especially fighting a fighter like me. I think, you know, to get world-class um, training like that before his strength training and stuff like that, he should have did that, the fight before this one. So his body can get accoladed, you know, to, the, to what he was going through. Now that he's 40 and he's taking his body through, you know, so much, so, so much putting on his body, he's taking his body through all that pressure, all that pain, you know what I mean? World-class training like that, I, you know, I don't think it's gonna, gonna be good for his body. He might be a little bit more tired than the first time. Like I said, it looks good, but you know, in reality, it might not be good for him. You know, I've been doing world-class training, you know, since the start, you know, man. My, my trainer, George Scott, we've been, we've been, you know, uh, another, um, Olympic world-class trainer, you know, we've been doing this from the from the beginning, you know, so I understand I know what it takes to train world-class and get your body in tip-top shape. I'm never out of shape. I'm in shape 365 days out of a year, and and when I come to camp, I come to camp first day of sparring. Some guys come to camp, they get two weeks to get in shape, but I'm already in shape, and, and it kind of concerned me a little bit, you know, with him finally wanting to do this uh, all this time, that he might not have the stamina that he thinks he's going to build, you know what I mean? I've seen him in ice tubs and all that and stuff, and there's a lot of pressure on his body. So, but, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to go in the fight, you know, feeling the way I feel about him, and uh, I'm going to do what I got to do at the end of the night. You know, I, I really don't worry about weight at this point in time in my career. You know, uh, that's what makes me special as a heavyweight and uh, as a champion in the division. Yeah, I say I'm the most exciting fighter in boxing, period, because of two things. Two things that say, it's a lot of things, but two things separates me from the rest of you guys. What other fighter you can name that a fighter got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds heavier than you, and y'all still knocks him out? What other guy you know that knocks out all his opponents like I do? You know what I mean? And with that being said, that's what differentiate me from the rest of these guys, you know? Because nobody ain't finna fight nobody 10, 20, 30, especially 50 pounds heavier than them. They go like, he's too big, you know. I, I and explain that. <laughs> I, man, it's just God-given. You know, that's the only way that I can explain it. Because 
even when I knock guys out, still, you know, when I go back and look at it, I'm like, even like, you, <laughs> even me, I swear, so like, it's, it's be like, wow. But then when I go back and look at videos and stuff, even interviews, I'm like, although I'm the, I'm the one that did it, you know, or, or said certain things. When I go back, I, I look at it as a, as a fan point of view of myself. Like, if nothing ever happened, I'm always going back laughing at myself and saying, you know, that man, he's crazy. That guy's crazy. Or looking at knockouts, I'm like, wow, you know, that's that was amazing. You know, um, but I'm just happy just to, 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 to be here at this point in time in my life on this platform. Like I said, I'm in, I'm in the position of blessing. And when you look at Alouis Ortiz, all the things that he's been through, defecting from his country. He could have got eaten by sharks, you know, traveling in the ocean. He got kidnapped and now he's here. All to to provide a better life for his family, for his daughter, you know, and, and I just feel real happy to being able to to bless a guy like that, you know, with the opportunity. Uh, not only one time, but the second time around when people say I'm crazy. I, yeah, I am crazy. I guess that's why my last name Wilder, you know, <laughs> and when I look at it, I only have six years left, like I've been saying, I've been putting out there, and I'm, I'm pretty solid on that. And But when I look at it, the landscape of boxing as a whole, as my career unfolds, I just want to display the greatness of myself. I want to be able to, when I leave this sport, I want people to say Deontay Wilder was the best that ever did it. He was the man of his, of his word, you know, and he blessed a lot of, he, he fought great fights, you know, obtaining the title until the end of it. And that's all I ever want. I would say so, you know. Um, you know, many people have different opinions. You know, you can do 99 things right in this world, and um, the run wrong thing you do, people uh, or <laughs> criticize you or that. You know, um, or you can or you can satisfy 99 people in the world, or you or it's always gonna be that one person that's not satisfied. Which I, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm not saying I'm doing it to satisfy everyone, because that is an impossible task. Um, to do, you know, there's always going to be people that is not appreciative of, of your work, you know, um, that's in everyday life, that's just not in boxing, that's just in you guys' line of field, that's in, you know, everyone's job that they, they does, there's always going to be someone that don't appreciate what you do, and uh, for me, I just, you know, it's all about my family and myself, myself, you know what I mean, uh, how I feel or what I've come to, but if you, if I seen a guy with all those you know, wins and knocking out guys like that. I'd be like, man, you know, he's, you know, hands down, definitely going to the Hall of Fame for sure. But, you know, personally myself, I feel I got a lot, a lot of things to accomplish in, 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 in the heavyweight division. And uh, I got a long way to go. I got, you know what I mean? I got a lot of things to do and I got a long way to go. And these six, next six years, I'm dedicating myself to accomplishing everything I set to accomplish. That way when I end my career and I hold my farewells up, it ain't gonna be no farewell fights coming back. It ain't gonna be nothing. I done gave all my energy. I'm waving off like it's a parade. I'm gone, I'm out of here. I done done what I had to do. And uh, I wanna be happy when I end my career, do it the right way. So Mike, it was pretty interesting to me that Deontay is making the point that, you know, Luis Ortiz has committed to this round the clock, sort of like Olympic style training. He thinks that it's going to rear its head in a negative way in the fight that Luis Ortiz, a lot like Oscar De La Hoya when he was preparing for Manny Pacquiao, could get quite fatigued and, and, and could be, be overwhelmed and could be tired out from all the training that he's done. Do you think that that's a, a possibility as well? 
we know overtraining is a thing. I mean, Sergey Kovalev uses this as an excuse after every loss. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Deontay Wilder probably has something there. And Wilder's always in great shape. 40 years old, Luis Ortiz, you know? Yeah, well, 40 years old. We've seen him get tired in fights before. I thought, I know he told you that he was a little tired in that Wilder fight. He was, but I thought that he was trying to take credit away from Wilder a little bit. Wilder caught him with some hellacious shots mm -hmm. that probably helps make him tired. Yes. And then the thing is, Wilder took control of that fight and really kind of showed his own condition, right, to rally from that trouble that he had in the seventh. And, you know, at that point, a lot of guys have kind of fallen by the wayside. Deontay was able to come back and apply that pressure. Yeah, and as outlined in your story, Wilder does a lot of subtle things that really make him a great fighter. I mean, he... He'll set up that right. He knows how to set up the right hand with by blinding you with the jab. He knows how to unmask the guard by moving the gloves out of the way. Sure, you know his footwork isn't the greatest, but I think people concentrate a little too much on that. For some reason, people just don't like Deontay Wilder. I mean, a lot of people do like him, but there's yeah. a lot of there's a big segment of the fans, maybe a strong minority, that really just don't like Deontay Wilder. And I get it. He says some crazy things. He says he wants a body on his record. I don't think he means that. Right. But. Deontay Wilder is really, after hearing for so many years that no one cares about him, that he's not a star, that GBC underpromotes him, it seems like he's on the cusp of being a big star if he's oh, not there I, already. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and you know what, Mike? I mean, I, I can't say this uh, unilaterally, but it does seem to me that a lot of the negative comments about Deontay Wilder seem to, be, seem to originate from the UK where, you know, they've got Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. You know, over here, the potential for uh, Deontay Wilder to really captured a mainstream uh, sports fan in America, I think is a great possibility. I mean, this guy is a, he, look, he's a guy who has a social conscience. He's got, he's a guy who understands who he is, you know, and, and is a, a hell of an athlete, you know, as we've seen. I mean, he started boxing so late in life and look at what he's done with his career so far. And as he said in that interview, you know, like he knows that the next six years are going to be very uh, important for him. He wants to just bust his ass and be at his best for the next six years, continue to develop, and then, you know, raise his right hand and say goodbye, thank you so much, and I gave it, I gave it my best effort. Deontay Wilder, I think, you know, is a, has the potential to be a far more magnetic personality than he is already in regards to, you know, the, the, the people that are, are watching the sport. And... Um, you know, with the uh, uh, promotion that's gone into this Fox pay-per-view, him participating in this bout, if he can win it and get to that f uh, ESPN Fox pay-per-view against uh, Tyson Fury, I mean, the world can be his by early 2020. And Lance, as writers, you know, we, we try to stay impartial. We, we are observers. We call like we see it. But we also deal with a lot of these guys on a regular basis. And I think one thing everyone agrees on is Deontay Wilder is a guy we all enjoy being around. He... He's the same guy now today that he was when I met him in 2014. Wow. Nothing, nothing's changed about him. He has time for everyone, and and I do appreciate that about him. And you know, he's not the only guy. There's plenty of fighters like that, but there are also many fighters that aren't like that that really let the thing get to them. And I think it just goes to show how grounded Wilder is. He's not going to overlook Ortiz, and we can really get a great mega fight with Wilder and Fury. Fury is another great personality, and that that's definitely going to be the biggest heavyweight title fight since Lennox Lewis fought Mike Tyson in 2002. I just don't see any way around it. Bob Arum's all in. You have, you know, Fox has been promoting a hell out of fights. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they have fights plastered over NFL college football programming. I, I really, Lance, how far do you think Wilder Fury can go? 
I mean, it, the the potential for it is huge. And Mike, I know you've got a story that's posted today at the Athletic where you talk about the implications that are you know really looming over the the outcome of this fight to get to Wilder Fury. Wilder Fury, to me, with both of these, like I said, very magnetic personalities, both selling this fight and their willingness. That You made a great point right there, Mike, when you were saying that Deontay Wilder hasn't changed and loves being around, you know, that you enjoy being around him. I think that, honestly, I, I, just, I was just here for about an hour and a half. Deontay came down here to Radio Row, talked to everyone, you know, gave his bomb squad uh, shtick, but gave in-depth, um, very insightful interviews to everyone. He enjoys being, it's not just reporters though, he enjoys being around people. And I think that, you know, that's something that everyone can gravitate to because I think this is what you want out of a heavyweight champion. We saw it before, and I'm not saying that Deontay Wilder is another Muhammad Ali in regards to fighting ability, but his personality is such that he is, he is someone that people can gravitate toward and feel as if, you know, look, if I became heavyweight champion myself, that's how I would, ho- you know, hope to behave and to, you know, remember your roots and, and, and think of, you know, your people and, and where you came from and what you've persevered to uh, get to. So um, to answer your question, Mike, I, I rambled there. But I think that, you know, it, it has the ability to be very, very strong. I mean, this is, I think, I mean, I would think that this thing has the ability with both networks participating in it. I mean, is, is the number 1.5 too low? Is that too high? What do you think? I think it's going to do somewhere between like 750 and oh. 1.2. Okay. I think that's a range. I, I, I think it's going to go high. You know, 900, 900 would be a great number. I mean, any of those numbers are great. The first fight did around 325. That was on Showtime pay-per-view. Yeah. You have to think. Look at all the factors we have. So 325 is the is the floor, right? Right. That was Showtime in yeah. far less homes. Now, not only do we have Fox, we have ESPN too. So ESPN and, and Fox pushing the fight together. And as Bob told us for the story, we have the best advertisement possible for Wilder Fury in a great first fight. We mm-hmm. know what these guys can deliver in the ring. That was an instant classic. So you have to think that any anything below 750 would be a disappointment and would be, just be shocking to me. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing, too, is that the willingness of these guys to work to sell the fight is something that you cannot discount. I mean, these, Tyson Fury did not need to participate in a WWE event, but he knew this goes to my pay-per-view when I fight a Wilder, and, you know, I, that's why I'm going to do it. Uh, it's one of the main reasons that I'm going to do it anyway. And, and with both of these guys, you know, uh, pushing this fight so hard, and now Tyson Fury is far more well-known in the U.S. than he was... You know, taking those two fights after he fought Wilder was a was a very shrewd move on on his part and on Top Rank's part. I just believe that you know everyone is going to know about this fight by the time that it arrives, and everyone's going to be into it. That's why I'm a little bit more bullish on it because I think that it, I think that it can it can produce a very strong number. When you're talking about, like you said, both of those networks being involved and these personalities in a play, and especially if Deontay Wilder. Uh, wins convincingly on Saturday to further enhance, you know, his talent in the public eye. I think that it's, it's it has the potential to be a a, a very very successful uh, uh, night. And I, I I think the thing, Mike, is that I mean you know this as well. For so long, the heavyweight division was just such a bore. To have all of this heavyweight drama that we have right now, and I know you'll be heading over to Saudi Arabia for the uh, Joshua Ruiz fight. This is a great thing for the sport. To, to not, you know, to have this unknown about who's going to win what fight and to have all these personalities involved, 
such a such a uh, remarkable thing of what the heavyweight division has become. Yeah, when I, I caught up with Fury at the press conference to promote that WWE match with Braun Strowman, the monster among men, <laughs> you know what Fury told me? What? He said, I'm the biggest star in boxing, and I'm going to become an even bigger star through WWE. Now, of course, I don't agree with that, but I like that. I, that you have to, that's the kind of things you need to say to become a star. And both Wilder and Fury carry themselves as stars. They love the media attention. They love hyping fights up. That's what you need in order to go over the top. You have to be over the top in boxing. This is the fight game. And... Wilder said, hey, look, Fury hasn't really sold too many tickets to his Vegas fights. I'm the one that's selling the fight, so I'm going to have to maybe knock out Ortiz in the first round in order to really sell this fight even further. So I think Wilder's really going to go out of his way to do something spectacular. Wilder's shown us that though he, though he talks a big game, he tries to back it up, and he usually does. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and, and like we said, I mean, we've got another big fight coming. Um, there's so many, so many uh, great storylines. I mean, we can't get enough of it as writers. And, uh, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder has so many interesting things um, going on around him. And, and, and for this fight, too, Luis Ortiz is going to test him. You know, look, he has the ability to test him in, in a way that maybe even, even is beyond what he did in that first fight. If, if, if we see a f very fit Luis Ortiz who can, again... This is the guy who's had 400 amateur fights. This is a guy who's a southpaw. Um, this is a guy who who knows what Deontay Wilder's vulnerabilities are. And to test him all that way and to, again, to add drama, more drama to the heavyweight division is, uh, is just something that I, I, I just can't believe how far this division has progressed from where it was, you know, when Tyson Fury fought Vladimir Klitschko in, in late 2015. It was actually, what, four years ago this month, right? Good riddance to Vladimir Klitschko. He was a bore for the, and just a real drag on the whole heavyweight division, even though I know he's a great guy and does a lot of great <laughs> yeah. work and yeah. was a great fighter too. But I've been thinking about this a lot, Lance. We have f really four kings right now in the heavyweight division. Assuming Ruiz, even if he loses, puts on a good performance and shows he wasn't fluky, which I don't think he was fluky. No. Andy Ruiz... Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. Two of them hail from the UK, two from the US, two are with PBC, one is with Eddie Hearn, one is with Bob Aaron. What do you think would be the matchup is that is the biggest fight between the two? I think the best case scenario is Wilder beats Fury, Ruiz beats Joshua, and then you get and then you get Wilder versus Ruiz in late twenty twenty. And that's two PBC fighters. How big is that? That's huge. And then what would the uh, semifinal or would the other fight, the loser's bracket, be uh, Joshua and Fury? What that a fight <laughs> that would be. I mean, both whatever happens is going to be great for the sport, and that's a great point. I've just always thought that the collision course that everyone wants to see is Wilder versus Joshua. Yeah, but, maybe. But, you know, given, given – I mean, can you imagine the, the – these both of these physical specimens standing in there before the first bell. I mean, it's like wow. This is a, these are two heavyweight champions going at it. It would be an incredible uh, thing for the sport. The, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter who wins as long as we get the winners fighting each other. That's going to be an, an incredible, incredible. I mean, that, that's the kind of fight that can go two million, maybe. Yeah. Like, let's say let's say Fury beats Wilder, and then Fury fights, and Joshua beats Ruiz, and Fury fights Joshua. I mean, that, that fight will sell out Wembley Stadium in a minute. And I think that, you know, the great thing, Mike, is, is that um, this is the path forward for the sport. I mean, these, all of these promoters realize that matching these guys against each other, uh, you know, irregardless of party lines, is what's in, in the best interest financially and for what's in the best interest of the sport. And so, 
you know, look, they're already doing it. So the precedent is there. And, and for these promoters to move beyond the walls that have existed for so long to be able to make the fights that everyone wants to see, it's a great thing. And it's, it's really incredible that the heavyweight division is able to lead the way on this as well. Well, for the sake of boxing, you know, Wilder, Wilder's with a victory over Ortiz, that would be a big boon for boxing. Um, yeah. I just think that, you know, again, I think when, you know, look, you've been covering the sport for a long time. Do you root for a fighter or do you root for a story? You root for a story. And the story of Deontay Wilder continuing on is something that's going to, uh, you know, further the sport in a, in a very significant way. So um, let's move on, Mike, if we can, on to the co-main event of this of Saturday card. It's, uh, you know, L.A.'s Leo Santa Cruz. And I, I was looking this up. He's fighting for what, you know, he's going to say is his fourth belt. I won't say it. It's the alternative. It's a secondary WBA um, super featherweight belt. He's fighting a guy by the name of Miguel Flores, who not a lot of people know much about. And I went back and looked at it, Mike. I mean, as much as Leo Santa Cruz is like one of the most charming, endearing uh, people that I've, I cover in the sport, this, these are the guys that he's beaten to become a champion, okay? Bantamweight, a guy by the name of Vusi Malinga. You remember him, right? Oh, of course. Super Bantamweight, Victor Terraza. He might actually do remember. You do? Okay. Yeah. Featherweight, I'll give him credit on this. He won the belt against Abner Mares, and then he uh, recollected it against Carl Frampton in that rematch. Deserves a lot of respect for that. Yep, that was a good now one. Now he's trying to win his fourth belt against uh, Miguel Flores. You know, on the heels of fighting uh, the likes of guys like Rafael Rivera, Chris Avalos, and Kiko Martinez. Al Heyman has has clearly protected Leo Santa Cruz to the nth degree. It's his and, favorite fighter. We hear it all the time. And we know that yeah, we Leo has named his son after Al after yeah. Al Heyman. Uh, but this kind of preferential treatment is you know it really hurts Leo in the public eye because everyone's looking at this body of work and saying, you know you're really you know, falling short of the standards that we expect of a champion. This co-feature does not move the needle one iota for me. And Leo's a hell of a nice guy. He's a, he's a good fighter. But I also don't enjoy watching him as much as other people. No? Some of his, I mean, he'll throw a thousand punches, but he's not really sitting on any of his punches. There are a lot of, you know, it's volume. I mean, Doug Amiro and the Frampton fights were both great. Yeah. Um, I thought the last Morris fight was a little overrated. I didn't, it didn't really do much for me. But I just don't really care about this fight. You know, Santa Cruz versus Miguel Flores. Maybe it'll be a good fight. What do you need to see? Let's just play devil's advocate. What do you need to see from Leo Santa Cruz on Saturday night to move the needle in your mind about his talent? I would like to see him sit on his punches a little more, go for the knockout, not just go for the just, not just go for the W. And, you know, he said that he wants to fight Javante Davis. And I, I think that's a horrible idea. I mean, he's not going to compete with Javante But don't Davis. you think he needs to do something like that? I mean, look, look at all these that, that, those lists of names that I just gave you. He's had all those fights that he's won. Doesn't he need to step in there even if he is a, a big underdog? Yeah, he does. You're and, right. You know. I'd rather see him fight Gary Russell Jr. It's a fight Gary Russell's won for a long time. Yeah. And he hasn't been able to get it. And I know, listen, I'm not saying Gary Russell's innocent here. Russell... It goes inactive for large stretches, but I know that behind the scenes, Russell's pushed hard for that particular fight. And look, it's a bad style for Leo Santa Cruz. There's no way around that. That's the one, I, and, and I, underst I totally understand what you're saying. That's the one fight that I maybe give Leo the benefit of the doubt on, only from the perspective of he's going to make X amount of dollars 
you know, Al always takes care of him. He's going to make good money no matter who he fights. Why does he want to take on a guy who can't draw a crowd? And I and I think that's the uh, now I agree with you as a as a boxing purist, you know. Look, he needs to test himself against a fellow champion. He absolutely does. Why has not has that not happened? And the thing is, is that I'm not I'm going to judge this situation by the actions, not the words. The words coming out of Leo Santa Cruz's mouth, and in a lot of cases, are that he wants these unifications, but the actions are he's fighting Miguel Flores for a fourth belt, and it's a secondary belt. So it's going to be you know just like a little bit like Adrian Broner, who stands as a Ford four division champion you know it to me it's got asterisks all over it yeah i really hate seeing guys win titles these vacant titles because like really anyone can win them i mean look what you reported carlos adamus is fighting patrick to for the vacant title i mean did we, so either of those does that really earn them a title if they win i mean yeah. adamus is a good fighter i like watching him yeah but does beating patrick to really make you a champion i mean come on yes and he's and listen adamus is far from the only one to benefit from this kind of this kind of scenario, like you said, Broner won a bunch of vacant titles against just guys that had no business competing for a title. But like, yeah. what has Patrick Teixeira done to fight for a title? Yeah, the titles really, the more they become watered down, they just lose all meaning. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that I mean some people, and I think yourself included, uh, advocate like not even mentioning uh, sanctioning bodies sometimes, as it re relates to some of these. Uh, you know, when we're asked to call these guys champions, and we know that they're falling short. You know, maybe we can bury bury that uh, in the story, and I, I I'm fine with that. Some of the uh, speaking of that, I mean, another fight on this card is uh, Brandon Figueroa versus Julio Ceja for again for a WBA secondary super bantamweight belt. And then, uh, did you want to talk about that fight, Mike? At all? Any thoughts on that on that showdown? Um, Figueroa has been in a lot of exciting fights. I, I like watching him fight and. Good for him. He, I think he deserves uh, some exposure on a, a big platform like this. I, I'm, I'm cool with that fight. That's a good fight. Seha was doing a nice job against Guillermo Rigondeaux before Rigondeaux yeah. caught him with a big shot and blasted him out. So that's a I, that's a perfectly nice opener. And, and then yeah. yeah, and then Luis Neri against Emmanuel Rodriguez. That's another good fight. I mean, Emmanuel Rodriguez fought Naoya Inoue and was blasted out in two rounds. But he's a good fighter. Otherwise, he was undefeated. And I, I spent some time with Neri at the gym, where, you know, he's training with Freddie Roach now, and he said that unequivocally the fight he wants is the monster. And I think that Neri versus Inoue, with some buildup, can be one of the biggest fights in the history of boxing uh, under 126 pounds. Uh, how, uh, within a couple of years, you think, you, think, you think it takes like a year or two to get there? I mean, it seems like they've got top rank, and uh, you did a great job reporting this out. Top rank has uh, signed in a way, and they've got their own plans for him is is Neri in the plans I think Toprak would be willing to do it just because when you get to these lower weight classes it's harder to make money so if there's a big money fight there why wait maybe you do it late 2020 and build it up a little bit or you do it early 2021 but that's it I mean that could be an amazing fight but Neri's got to do his part and look great on Saturday and then we can really get the drum the drum beat going toward that fight and PBC putting him on a pay-per-view card. I mean, they're really Third trying to time. sell this sell this guy hard. And Freddie Roach. I mean, you talked to him, right? Very, very excited about what he's got here. And Neri, he, uh, you know the story. He just kind of walked into wild card, right, and introduced himself to Freddie, who was kind of caught off guard. Like, who are you? Yeah, Neri's Neri's a hell of a fighter. He's a guy that you know, boxing hardcores have been hearing about for a while. I mean, he went to Japan and beat a guy who's a legend there in a in a Hazegawa. So. You know, he's actually banned from the country because <laughs> exactly, of uh, yeah. 
And he, I spoke to Nery about it. Nery said he's very upset. He said he loves Japan. <laughs> he said he's upset that he's banned from fighting there, but... Indefinitely? He can go there on a travel visa, he said. He said he can't fight there. So, wow. uh, you know, he did come in overweight. He did pop for Clumbuterol. But under the new rules of the WBC Clumbuterol, he would have been clean, I believe. So, a lot of gray areas. Who really knows? But Nery's definitely one of those really exciting fighters in those lower weight classes, fighting on 118. And we've had a bunch of them, you know, from Chocolatito to Rungvisai. Speaking yeah. of Rungvisai, where has he been? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, remember he had those issues with um, where his heart was broken, and he and then he came back and was and lost that fight against Estrada. And like you said, we haven't heard from him ag again. So I was actually just talking to, to um, uh, someone from Japan who was who was telling me uh, talking about the when Neri fought in Japan, and they know the Sorongvasai situation. I just didn't bring it up. I'm sorry, but um, uh, we need to definitely find out what's up with him because. You know, what an immense talent, the, the guy who finished off Chocolatito, and now he has disappeared. And it, it can happen with fighters, you know, from over overseas. So that one got away from us. Um, uh, some news, Mike, I mean, that I wanted to talk about here at the Media Center today, I was able to uh, uh, find out that Devin Haney, um, who, who talked about his shoulder being dislocated, remember on the Staples Center card November 9th, when he uh, made his first successful defense of his uh, WBC lightweight title, he um, has received uh, a diagnosis from a, a doctor, who, a doctors who have overlooked him, um, that he is going to need shoulder surgery. He's going to meet with um, a, what I'm told is an elite surgeon next week, and where they expect that 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 uh, that will be confirmed, and then they believe that he'll be sidelined four to six weeks before he can resume training, and he still plans to be ready for a March fight, a mandatory fight, correct, against Javier Fortuna uh, in March. So um, breaking news on that front. Um, Devin Haney, you know, coming back in the ring, it doesn't seem like it's a devastatingly long uh, absence. And like I was talking to his father, uh, Bill Haney, you know, look, a lot of times there's not a lot of significant fights in January or February anyway with the NFL playoffs finishing up. So I think it's like he's right on schedule. You know, no one's going to even barely know he was gone. Yeah, everything, everything good for him right there. And he's definitely one of the bright stars in the sport. So Javier Fortuna is actually a little bit of a tougher fight for him than uh, definitely the toughest fight of his career on paper. So I'm looking forward to that one. Hopefully everything's good with Devin Haney. One one fight that I'm not looking forward to, and Mike, you broke this, is uh, Caleb Plant's uh, next title defense. Who's it against, Mike? He's fighting Alfredo Angulo, who's coming off in a slight upset victory over Peter Quillen, now fighting at 168 pounds, so a few weight classes above his best, <laughs> and definitely years past his best. I mean, when he got when he got uh, defeated by Canelo Alvarez, I never thought I'd see him in the ring again. How many years ago was that? And now he's back. You got to be kidding me! Fighting I mean, for a title. Forget it. Forget about. Let's say Angulo was at his absolute best. This is about the worst style matchup I could think of possible for Angulo. I mean, Caleb Plant is ultra quick, great jab, great footwork. I mean, this should be a destruction of the absolute highest order. What's the thinking here? Because look, I like Caleb Plant, but now he's fought back to back. He's fought Mike Lee and Angulo. I mean, two of the biggest stiffs that you could come up with for a champion. Well, this is an improvement on Mike Lee, I think. Yeah, that's true. Angulo oh would, de Angulo would definitely be Mike Lee. Yeah.
What um, happens here? What happens in a situation like this? So, like, how does how does someone say? It's like sometimes when you see someone wearing like a very unflattering like sweater that's too tight or something like that, and you're like, <laughs> dude, how did you look into the closet today and say I'm going with that? Like, how does Al Heyman look into his closet of fighters and say, you know what, we need Angulo in here against Plant. This that, is the guy. That's the sick thing, right? Yeah, someone had to actually think of that. I'd be like, you know what, that's the fight. Yeah, that, that, there, who, was a, there was a talk about. Who it. is that? Who's that person? I don't want. I don't want to know. But it's funny that reminds me of one of my favorite curb episodes, the one with the uh, the bear midriff, where Larry has to have a talk with the assistant about wearing the unflattering shirts that exposes her bo- uh, her body. <laughs> um, anytime we can get an LD reference, it's, always a good thing. It's happened throughout time. I mean, some people say that it happens in the media center sometimes here with people wearing too much fleece. The fleece. Uh, the fleece is legendary, and. Uh, I wish we could get some more fleeces, some different color ones at least. Look, another embarrassment that happened this week, Mike, and I know you uh, are ripe to talk about this, is Sergey Kovalev basically like in a in a selfie uh, video interview, right, basically saying that, you know, anyone that thought that he had a chance to defeat Canelo Alvarez were, is an ignoramus. Well, it's which, easy. I, I just ate. I, I, I feel <laughs> sick now. What did you think, what did you think of that? Uh, of that of Sergey saying that it's just pathetic I mean how, what else can you say about something like that Canelo Alvarez knocked you out fair and square was it a quick turnaround absolutely but you knew that going in you wanted the money you took the money and listen, fair play yeah let's go back and look at the things you said you know I had some interviews with this guy and the way he sold the fight and talked about his thing so basically what you're saying is you're a liar yeah you know you're a fraud I mean, it's just, look, you, you it's ridiculous. I mean, you're yeah. taking away from Canelo Alvarez, who's a great sport all along. Canelo Alvarez is the biggest star in boxing. I think he's a credit to the sport, the way he carries himself. And this guy, Kovalev, is basically insulting the fans, saying, oh, you got, yeah, what he said, ignoramus is if you thought I was going to win. I mean, how about just saying, Kovalev fought a good fight, too. Why, why discredit yeah. yourself? Yeah. By saying these things. I mean, you know, I spoke to Bob Arum, and Bob Arum had some choice words for Kovalev's promoter, Kathy Duva, what he say? saying, he said something. Along the lines of, this just further reinforces my belief that Kathy Duva is indeed not a promoter because a real promoter would have sat Kovalev down and told him to say the right thing. Now look, I, I don't know that I can really blame Kathy Duva here, but I understand what Bob is saying. He's saying that someone you know should have. I mean, look, I, he's got a history for coming up with excuses, Mike, and I know you you've. Uh You've talked about this. I mean, even before, uh, even before this fight against Canelo, he was telling me that he thought that his uh, former trainer, D- John David Jackson, had tampered with his his water bottle <laughs> before the second Andre Ward fight, and he's he's had excuses before. I mean, let's look at the excuses. We had a, the first loss was against Andre Ward, the first fight, and he said the judges robbed him. No, that was a it was a close fight. I had Very scored one fourteen, one thirteen, I believe, for Andre Ward. Many people have a Kovalev. You want to complain about the judges? I don't have a huge problem with it. He also said that he overtrained for the first fight. Then he fights Ward again. And what does he say again? He overtrained. I believe he said that again. Water bottle tampered with poisons, <laughs> which is outrageous. And I mean, and let's not forget the low blows. I mean, the low blows. You know what Tony Weeks did with the low blows? He saved Kovalev, in my opinion, from getting knocked possibly through the ropes. Kovalev sitting on the ropes. And Ward's landing body shots. And he does, the shots do stray low. But Kovalev earlier, I think it was the round before, was absolutely rocked by a straight right to the chin and was wobbling around the ring. I mean, Tony Weeks really robbed Ward of a clean knockout in that fight. And Kovalev blames him. Then we have leader Alvarez. You know, Kovalev again, boxing well. He's a, he's a front runner, Kovalev. He boxed well against Ward in the first fight. 
early on. Second yeah. fight against Ward, he's boxing well early on. Same thing with the leader Alvarez. Alvarez catches him, brutally knocks him out, and the excuse was, I overtrained. Then we have the Canelo fight, and now it's another excuse. So when, do, when do these end? You know what? I mean, the, the thing is, this is going to define Sergey Kovalev right now, and he's digging his own grave. Look, this guy has way bigger concerns than this. He's got a, a court date next week in San Bernardino County to the, uh, deal with his assault. I believe he was actually moved to January. Oh, was it now? Okay. Um, but he's got, he's got this assault claim that he has to deal with. And, you know, beyond that, the next time he fights, and he's got, he's got two fights. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. He's got two fights with the zone, right? And so he, the next time he fights, this is going to be the issue that's going to entire. It's going to dominate every fight leading into. What's Sergey Kovalev's excuse going to be this time? What excuse is running through your mind right now? Let's hear it before you even step into the ring. It's just disappointing because Kovalev is a really good fighter, and it's just he's just discrediting himself. He's not discrediting Canelo, and I heard Canelo's disgusted with this behavior. Eddie Reynoso certainly is. He came out and spoke against it. What's the point? It was such a friendly promotion, too. It really was. And, you know, look, I don't know. Maybe it's just his, his personality, you know, that comes shining through. But it's, it's very disappointing, and I think it is an insult to the sport. And it's, uh, like you said, it's an insult to Canelo, and it's an insult to the, his own effort that he put in for that fight. Because I know with his trainer, Buddy McGirt, I mean, they really felt good heading into this fight. A couple other things, Mike. We know with uh, Jaime Munguia announcing a fight in San Antonio January 11th. He's going to be moving up to middleweight, as The Athletic reported before, um, um, against... Gary Spike O'Sullivan, another it. uninspiring fight. Yeah, I, mean, we have a lot, I mean, it's kind of depressing. We have a few mismatches we're talking about <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> let's, move, uh, let's move on quickly from that. But Spike is a... Uh, what a character, real funny he's a, guy. He's a funny yeah. guy. He's a great uh, character. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't have a huge problem with it if Munguia fights, you know, three or four times next year. But um, I get that it's first fight at 160. Yeah. I just like there have to be somebody a little bit better than Spike O'Sullivan available. It was. It seems like a pretty again like Angulo. It's a very lazy choice. Like let's just get someone and throw it in there. <laughs> um, but that WBO belt, they've got their um, convention coming up. December 2nd through 6th in Tokyo, I believe, or it's in Japan. And um, at that point, they will um, they will officially anoint, I've been told, uh, the winner of no the November 30th fight, like you said, between Carlos Adamas and Patrick Teixeira as champion. So that, that card now becomes, you've got Carl Frampton on that card, you've got Oscar Valdez in the main event, and I guess both of those guys have told Bob Arum that if they win that, if they win on November 30th, they don't want to fight each other, which it looked like. I saw a picture of them. Uh, they had a luncheon together, and I assumed those two would be fighting each other. No, Frampton says, I want Jamel Herring next for the WBO belt. And Oscar Valdez says, uh, thanks to Eddie Reynoso, who has a great confidence in his fighter, he says, I want WBC champion Miguel Burchelt next. And so that would that fight would probably be in Los Angeles, Aram told me, and the Frampton fight would likely be in Belfast. So uh, two significant fights could come out of that and a, cha and a champion. So that, that November 30th card that looked like maybe it wasn't you know loaded, loaded, now has some pretty uh, big consequences to it. Yeah, I love what Top Rank is doing, 130 pounds. They have a little de facto tournament going on, it seems, at 130. Frampton Herring, I think it could be a kind of an ugly fight in the ring, but I, I, I even though Herring is unheralded, I think I have to give the edge to Herring. He's a oh, lot really? bigger. 
It's not wow. bigger than Frampton. It's a kind of a tricky style. You can outbox him. We'll see who wins that, that one. Road test. Road test. Yeah, big time road test. Yeah. And I think Burchell Valdez is a can't-miss fight of the year type. I mean, that's going to be a war. How many war, more wars for Valdez? But you know what? If Eddie Reynoso is really saying that he's good to go, that's a pretty uh, good stamp of endorsement. I mean, Eddie Reynoso has the ability, especially if he gets an impressive win on November 30th, he could stand as trainer of the year. And I think if he can lead Oscar Valdez to victory over uh, Miguel Burchell, who has looked so good... Um, Right? I mean, that would be... I, I would pick Burchelt as the favorite in that fight. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a pick em fight, really. Really? I spoke to... I was actually at that lunch, and I spoke to Valdez a little bit about how he's trying to work on his boxing and his defense a little more under Eddie Reynoso. And he said he would like to be a little bit more like Eric Morales, a guy who was in great fights but also had some defense, could use his jab a little bit. Or He actually also mentioned, mentioned Juan Manuel Marquez. I mean, Marquez was a really great defensive fighter that wasn't defensive in nature he just knew how to counter and how to move it but it was in i mean he was in two different fight of the years well the fight with juan diaz i think it was the first fight with juan diaz and the fourth fight with manny pacquiao so we'll see if Valdez can get it done uh, under the guidance of eddie reynoso great well uh, mike thank you so much um you know oh i just wanted to say that uh uh i know you wanted to talk about this um, I'm feeling really healthy after uh, uh, finishing the uh, half marathon right here on the strip in uh, Vegas, Mike. Uh, this last week, I came in at uh, 2:08:55, which is I know it's very slow, but just keep in mind I am 52 years old. I did average a uh, mile of 9:51, so I was That's very impressive. proud of myself. No, I know you're in way better shape than me. You I wouldn't can say both, that. You can both <laughs> run and lift weights, so we know that yeah, you're you pay a lot more attention to <laughs> I think you would crush me. But as promised on the on the Pug and Cop boxing show last week, I did indeed torch my former boss, Angel Rodriguez, by forty two minutes. So I just Oof. wanna uh, take this time to say you know, next time you talk smack, you know, you better uh, bring some A game. He, <laughs> he admitted himself that it was a, a if they were if boxing judges were scoring this, it would have been 120 108 in my favor. So, no knockdown, we'll take the victory. Pug and cop, right? We got him, buddy. Um, yeah, so, um, anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be with you after the fight Saturday night, immediately after the fight, to talk about Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz, too. Look forward to talking to you guys then. Thank you. Thanks, guys.